through uh, the message. Uh, we are looking at uh, James chapter 2 here today. And, and as we dive into James chapter 2, we're going to see that God gets a little riled up uh, when we start jumping to judgment uh, and, and when we start giving preferential treatment to certain people. And our main point today is if we want God's favor, then we cannot show favoritism. We cannot show partiality. And you're going to hear that word a lot this morning because we're using the English Standard Version. And he says, do not show partiality or do not show favoritism. Last week, we looked at the fact that we just can't listen to the word. We actually have to hear it. We actually have to bring it in to our lives. And we also need to be doers of the word. We can't just hear it and, and listen to it. We actually have to do something beyond. And, and that means um, that we need to do what it says. We're, we're faced today with a, a call to specific obedience in an area uh, that it's so easy to excuse or to rationalize our attitudes or behavior. Uh, when, when someone says, well, you're showing favoritism or, or you're showing partiality to someone to, uh, in the job or in life or, or whatever it is, the siblings or, or children, uh, and, and we can just excuse it, we can rationalize it, and we just push it off. But here, James is going to tell us that that is not something that we have been called to do. So what I want to do is, as we jump into James chapter 2. We're going to use an analytical argument. James uses an analytical argument to motivate us to not practice this favoritism. So the first thing that he does is he gives a little bit of an admonition. In James chapter 2 verse 1, James says, my brothers. Again, James reveals his tenderness towards his brothers and sisters. And he says, my brothers, I'm showing you that I love you. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And here he states to his brothers and sisters to hold the faith. You see, we are the brothers and believers. We are the sisters and the saints because we are in the same family. We're on the same team. We are called to do all of this together. Hold the faith. And what he really wants to drive home is the fact that there is to be no distinction. Paul makes this very clear in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have to remember who James is. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so he doesn't make any point to that. He doesn't say, hey, um, I am Jesus' half-brother. No, what he actually says is the Lord of glory. He doesn't say, hey, my brother. He says the Lord of glory. The Jewish background believers would have equated this phrase with God's Shekinah glory, which was on display as the Israelites were led in the desert. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is God's glory come down to earth. We read there, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So let's get straight who we are. We are sinners. 
We are all sinners who are called to serve. And let's focus on him and who he is. He is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In light of who we are and who he is, we're, to, we're admonished to show no partiality. Do not have favoritism in your life. And I love that James puts this in the present tense, meaning that we're to stop showing favoritism. Stop doing it. Consistently stop doing it. Not that you've done it in the past and you shouldn't do it anymore. Not that you may do it in the future. James says you're doing it now and you need to stop and consistently stop doing it. And when he uses the phrase um, showing partiality, it means to accept the face. To accept the face. Now, last week we talked about looking in the mirror and taking a long, hard look at what we see. And then we, we straighten things up and, and we, we do different things to make ourselves maybe look a little better when we look inside the mirror. Well, this is a little bit different. Because what James is driving home here is that we need to accept the face of the person that's standing in front of us. Accept them for who they are. You see, we need to look at someone and go, this is the appearance. This is the economic status. This is the skin color. This is um, whatever it might be, and we need to stop discriminating. We need to stop showing partiality. We need to stop having favoritism in our lives. So let's define a few terms here. The first one is, is favoritism. We're talking a lot about that this morning. Favoritism is giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Discrimination. This is the practice of treating one person or group of people less fairly, fairly than other groups of people. Prejudice. This comes from the word of prejudge and refers to discriminating against people solely based on outward appearance or skin color. Racism. This is the explicit or implicit belief or practice that qualitatively distinguishes or values one race over other races. And James says to show partiality is in compatible with our belief because in acts chapter 10 verse 34 it says god shows no partiality god is the ultimate umpire according to uh first peter 1 17 because he is the father who judges impartially as one who claims his name he expects us to treat to treat people fairly Warren Wiersbe nails it on the head when he says, the way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about God. So we need to make sure that we are not showing partiality because our God doesn't show partiality to us. So if you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. You know, and as a good preacher, after admonishing to show no favoritism, James then gives us a very vivid illustration. Look at verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into our assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Stop right there. Let's break these two down here. The text literally reads, gold-fingered and brilliantly clothed. 
this man that came in, this rich man, had gold rings all over his fingers. He came in completely dressed up in the best of the best. It would be like he came in in an Armani suit. Or if he had the best tailor out there. And in some of, in some of the things, it, it actually talks about they would put silver in the lining of the outfits that they would wear. J. J. Vernon McGee liked to say, some go to church to close their eyes, and others go to eye the clothes. You know, in contrast, how you feel, how would you feel if a poor person came in, and they have shabby clothes on that James talks about here. The literal translation for that shabby is vile filthy tattered or torn i love who we are as a church because it doesn't matter what you wear we love to say hey we don't care what you wear as long as you wear and that's very important for us because we want to make sure that at least you are clothed when you come to church but it doesn't matter how you dress what you wear you can come in your best business suit you can come in a pair of flip-flops and and shorts and um, a tank top shirt if that's what you want. I'll never wear that because I wouldn't look good in that. But if that's the way you want to dress, then that's the way that you are accepted into the body. But James here is pointing out that we're prone to show partiality to the man who's sporting a little bling. We see someone and go, oh, they must have influence because of the way that they're dressed. Verse 3 uses the phrase, and if you pay attention, which means to gaze upon. We have to be very careful with that. Because that favoritism, that partiality, when we look on that, starts to make us want to have what they have. It's easy to turn our attention away from the glory of the Lord to the material splendor of someone's clothing, car, or status. To the finely dressed man, we'd say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stay over there or sit down at my feet. So the flashy guy gets the best seat in the church, which is be the back row. The poor man gets to sit on the floor or the very first row. That's the way that we would say it in the church today. You know, too many times we judge someone's character by their outward appearance while forgetting that we're all smelly sinners. Our sin completely covers us over. You see, when we practice partiality, in essence, we've set ourselves up as judge, taking God's judging job away from him. But here's the newsflash. He doesn't need any help running the world. He doesn't need you judging people and telling them what they should wear, what they shouldn't wear, what they look like. Well, God, we should accept them because they look the part. But God, we can't accept them because they don't look the part. Check out verse 4. James says, have you not then made distinct, distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, making distinctions has the idea of separating people into distinct categories. One reason they fawned over the rich man is that they 
thought he could increase their offerings. Maybe he could give them something special. So we got to take care of the rich man. And I've seen this happen time and time and time again in a church. Someone has money in the church, and so we, we hold them to a higher standard, or we, we don't hold them to the higher standard, and we let them get away with a little bit more. I, I've seen in, in one church that there was a, a family, a very wealthy family that gave to the church, and it was a couple of generations that were inside of that church. And they said, hey, the church said, we want to move towards the contemporary style of music. This was several years ago. And we want to have drums as part of the band that we have on the stage. And this family said, if you put those drums on the stage, we'll leave and take our money with us. The next week, the drums weren't on the stage. And that's sad. Because... We allow ourselves to be overtaken by this partiality and favoritism. We allow ourselves to be overtaken because we're afraid that we may lose that good giver. You see, when we judge others, we have evil thoughts, James says, which means that we have reached malicious and wicked conclusions about certain people. Let's face it. We tend to judge the better off as better. We're prone to give preference to the pretty because it looks good. They may do something good for us. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20 says, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, neighbor but the rich has many friends. Friends, our focus must be on the true glory of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, not passing judgment, on outward appearance. Since everybody matters to Jesus, <clears throat> everyone must matter to us. If you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. And after giving the opening admonition and then moving to an illustration, next James gives the explanation. In order to explain himself, James appeals to the personal experience of those people in that church that he's writing to there in Jerusalem. In, in verse 5, we see another affectionate appeal. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. The word listen means to hearken or to hear. This is what we talked about last week. Listen, lean in, James is saying to them. James asked four lively questions to get to get us to see the contradictions that reside within us. Each question expects an affirmative yes. Look at verses 5 through 7. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? They would answer yes. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Yes. And the ones who drag you into court. Yes, they are. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the, the honorable name of which you were called? Yes, they have, the people would say. And so after uh, appealing to their personal experience, James now turns to Scripture once again. And, and in verse 8, we see that we need to let love be our law. We need to let love be our law. If you really 
fulfill the royal law according to scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Now, James here is quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This is reinforced if we go back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. James says the same exact thing. Paul says it in, in Galatians 5, 14. They, he refers back to this Leviticus chapter as well. For the whole law, Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, it is impossible to truly love your neighbor and show favoritism. We need to set it aside. We need to let the law be our love. And we need to let, the lo- and we need to let love be our law. Let scripture be your standard as well. Make sure that you are turning to the Bible. You know, today, more than ever, we need to be turning to the Bible, reading God's Word. It is applicable, it is important, it is imperative that we read God's Word on a daily basis. Dig in to His Word. Listen, I know that there are a lot of great authors out there. I quote a lot of great authors But we need to make sure that we are putting all of that to the test of what God's word says. That there, again, there are many great authors out there. There are um, many great tests that you can take out there that that tell you um, what your personality is and and all of this. And, And people are using that as scripture. People are taking the words of different authors and they're using that as scripture. But what we need to do is turn directly to God's word over and over again that's what we've been called to do you see we tend to trivialize our own trespasses thinking that our sins don't smell as bad as the sin of other people some of us excuse our judgmental hearts thinking that it's no big deal well if i show a little favoritism it's okay travis because i didn't commit the big sins i didn't kill someone this week I may have gossiped a little bit about someone at work, but I mean, did you see their hair and the way that they looked? But I didn't kill anybody. And so we try to compare things and we think that big sins don't matter because all of ours are just little sins. We want to congratulate ourselves. You know, it's actually easy to to think because we've kept most of God's commands that it's okay to violate a few small ones. But actually, if we break, break one link in the chain, we're sinners. All it takes is to break one. Look at verses 9 through 11. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So what's the harm? What's the harm in ignoring people we think are different? Strange. Weird. Or maybe separate people according to gender or generation. We need to be careful. Careful. Young people that are listening, be careful. Don't don't just throw out that word. I know one of the biggest things that we hear today is, okay, boomer, okay, boomer. You know, they're... They're your elders, and you need to look at them that way. They're not just elderly. 
You need to see them for who they are in God's sight. Older people that are listening to it, Gen Xers and boomers, be careful. Don't just look at, at Gen Z and millennials and go, oh, it's them. Well, that's just the way they act or the way that they think. Because if you remember, those older generations thought the same thing of you. So we need to be very, very careful of how we break this down. We, we think that it's okay if we separate people into vocation or location, popularity, personality, even politics. Or perhaps we judge based on background or disability. Others of us act like spiritual snobs. We see someone struggling, and, and instead of reaching down to help them, we actually kick them while they're already down. What we need to do is remember that at one time we were there and that we needed help being pulled up. Don't miss how dis disgusting partiality is to the Almighty. Discrimination is not just ill-advised or inconsiderate. It is bad etiquette. And as we look at these verses, James says it is sin. It's as if James is reading his readers' minds. Okay, I, I, I might not think the best of people, but at least I'm not a murderer. But if we go back to what our Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, he says, well, Scripture says do not murder, but I say if you have hate in your heart, you've already committed that murder. He raises the bar for us, and we need to see the same exact thing. We can't just reduce it. We have to elevate it and bring it up. And to continue the argument, James is anticipating someone saying that they've never committed the terrible sin of adultery. But again, he equates it to other sins. You see, if we keep nine but break one, we are a transgressor. We are a lawbreaker. We are a sinner in God's eyes. We're all sinners who are guilty before an almighty God. And since we're in need of God's mercy, we should be known for showing mercy to others. And now James is going to wrap it all up by giving us the application. After admonishing, illustrating, and explaining, we dig into verses 12 through 13. And as we look at this application, we need to watch our words and adjust our actions. Remember, judges will be judged. We see this in verse 12, in the first part of verse 13. We read, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Notice that we're to speak and act here. And I want to camp in on, on one very key section here. It's a phrase, the law of liberty. You see, when we look at the law, these things should happen. We realize that we're sinners, that we've all broken God's law. Everyone who's watching this, everyone who's going to listen to this later, me standing before you right now, I'm a sinner and I have broken God's law. But then, secondly, we need to flee to the cross. 
flee to the cross of Christ so that we can be forgiven. And here's the thing, all of you who are watching right now, you can be forgiven. Please understand that you can be forgiven. But Travis, you don't know what I've done in my past. Travis, you don't realize what I have done or, or what I'm hiding, what is secret in my life. You don't know what's in my closet. But you don't know what's in mine either. But what I do know is that I've been forgiven because I have the love of Jesus Christ in my life. I have went to the cross of Christ and I have cried out for mercy and mercy and grace and love has been shown to me because he took on my sins when he went to the cross for me. You see, we are free and we are pardoned and we have been given liberty. The law is liberty. True freedom is freedom to obey God and to do what pleases Him. And please make sure that you understand that. Watch your words and adjust your actions because He wants to set you free. Secondly, make mercy your message. Make mercy your message. This passage ends with a message of mercy. In the last part of verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgments. Mercy is the aspect of God's character that causes him to minister to the miserable. It's a strong word in the Hebrew, which means to feel something deeply in the gut. Have you ever just had that feeling? That feeling that's just so deep inside of you, it's in the pit of your stomach, and, and you just feel it welling up. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't know about you, but when I'm holding on to something, I can't sleep, I can't eat, it keeps me up, it, I feel that deep pain inside of me. But when I let that go and I give it over to God, I feel that immediate relief, that sigh that comes over me. Because I know that I have received that love and that mercy. I came across the, uh, a quote recently that it said, Never look down on anybody unless you are helping them up. You see, when we're merciful, we receive mercy. And when we're merciful because we've received mercy, this is the kind of mercy that triumphs, which means to exalt over or against. Failure to show mercy reveals failure to understand mercy. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew what God was going to do. He knew that they were evil people. And then even once he went to Nineveh and he preached to them and he preached what God was going to do and if they didn't repent that they would be destroyed, he went out on a hill and he waited because he wanted to see God's wrath. Jonah didn't understand mercy until he was deep in the pit of the belly of that whale. And he didn't understand it until it was all said and done all over again. Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Don't you love how God is moved with mercy toward us? I, I love the fact that in the midst of, of who I am, 
in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my sin and, and, and just nastiness, my vileness, God shows me mercy. Micah chapter 7 verse 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. God saves us in spite of our sins. Listen, if we received what were, we truly deserved, do you know where we would be? Do you know where we would all be headed? Hell. That's where we would all be headed right now. Because if we truly got what we deserved, none of us are worthy. It doesn't matter how little of sin you've committed or how great of sin you've committed. We are all guilty before God. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. We don't want justice. We want mercy. And so we need to show mercy to others. You know, Jesus was the ultimate model of, of ministering with mercy. And he didn't give preferential treatment. I, I just want to give you a, a, a list of some of the people that, that Jesus helped along the way. He recu uh, recruited a despised tax collector. He reached out to a Phoenician woman, well aware that the Jews referred to her as a dog. He gave grace to the woman caught in adultery. He celebrated the little the widow gave while allowing the rich young man to walk away when he wouldn't turn away from his love of money. He held up the Good Samaritan, a half-breed as a hero in a story about compassionate neighboring. If you want to go home justified, you too must admit that you're a sinner that you need mercy in your life. So let's conclude. Let's bring all of this together. If you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. If you want to get off the sidelines, if you want to make a difference in your life. And listen, I know all of you want off the sidelines right now. All of you want to be able to come back to church. All of you want to get out. You don't want to be quarantined any longer. But I want you to think about who your one person is right now. I haven't mentioned this recently, but I want to bring it up one more time. And I'm like, again and again and again. But who's your one person? that you can invite to come and be a part of our church services. That you can say, hey, come invite, come, come and join us on, on Facebook. Come, come hang out with us for, for just a little bit in life group. And when things start to open back up, I, I, I hope that the same people that are like, I want to get out of quarantine, I want to get to church, I want to be around my friends, I, I want to surround myself with my brothers and sisters because I miss them and I want to hug them and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I pray and I hope that not only are you going to show back up to church, that you're going to bring that one more, that you're going to say, hey, we're going to, bring, we're going to be at church and we're going to invite our neighbors and we're going to hang out at life group and, and our life groups are 
are just going to explode. Our Bible studies are going to explode. You're going to be a part of youth group. You're going to do what it takes. Receive that mercy in your life. So, we've come to the end of the service. We're going to have communion here in just a minute. I want you to intentionally think right now how, what, who you have shown partiality to, favoritism to, who you've told to sit on the floor. And I want you to give it up before the foot of the cross. We're going to take communion and we're going to we're going to take the bread and the juice or whatever emblems that you are using. I don't want you just to remember what Jesus did for you. He showed you mercy. He showed you love. He showed you grace. 